This episode is a note to students and trainers about taking the time to do basics and what to do if students want to go faster. So here we go, episode 143, Slow is Fast. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. Hello beauties. I hope this finds you and your horses healthy and happy. Uh, I was just thinking the other day about something that I've heard come up among professionals. Uh, I, I'm in a position where I mentor uh, other horse professionals and, you know, I hang around with horse professionals and I am a horse professional. So this is something that I've seen come up time and time again. And just recently, I felt like it was a a challenge that the horse professionals were talking about and and what they were saying are things like um, I need to do the basics I really want to focus on the, um, some really subtle but important basic stuff but I feel like I can't because my students want to go faster or they don't believe that they can teach some of this more subtle and powerful stuff because the students are going to get bored. And I think maybe it's coming up more and more, well, because of the circle that I'm in, right, of more heart-centered um, professionals. And I think just times are times are changing, at least in my little corner of the world. It's just growing this desire to have a depth of practice and to put the horse first and be more concerned with the experience of the horse and more concerned about things like safety and harmony. Uh, and, you know, I know that there's other parts of the horse world where those things aren't important and they're off doing their thing. <laughs> so I'm not in that world. But I think sometimes what creates the problem is this feeling of I have to do things a certain way or I'm going to lose business, right? So it's hard when like the neighbor trainers, students are all like going to shows and they're getting ribbons and they're doing all this stuff. And, you know, your students, you're like, hey, we need to do some groundwork or, you know, get your horse, you know, take the time to get your horse more relaxed or things like that. And sometimes those things involve seemingly doing nothing or just taking the time to be aware and giving the horse a moment, you know, and then the neighbors are like going off to the show. <laughs> so I get it. It's hard, but it, every time I hear a professional talk like that, I, I really try to highlight like, no, like don't say I can't teach that or I'm going to lose students. Like, well, maybe you will but you're going to lose students who aren't interested in what you teach and, and you want to match, you know, yourself with your ideal student, but it's really doing them a disservice, right? So if you believe as I'm talking to trainers right now, if you really believe something is important and 
it's necessary for the safety or the understanding of the horse. Like you've, you've got to do it. You've got to teach it. And if you're an educator, then the job is to educate your student about why you're doing it. So, you know, I've heard experienced trainers. I've heard really well-respected trainers, widely internationally known trainers. And I think it comes up especially when these trainers are entering the older and wiser stage of their careers, right? Struggling with knowing that the basics need improvement, but worrying the students are going to leave. But I'm also seeing it in this new generation, the generation of instructors who have have become instructors in this age of partnership matters and relationship and calmness of the horse matters. So, you know, I think, uh, like I said, we need to educate the students or at least be able to explain why we as instructors might be going in that direction. And something I've heard is like, it's hard to explain or they don't know how to explain it. So I thought I'd take a crack at explaining a little bit about this dynamic. And so if you're a trainer listening, maybe this podcast will be, or this episode will be something you could recommend your student listens or send them the link or something. And if you're a student listening and your trainer sent this to you for you to listen to, it's because they really do care about you and they want you to understand and they want you and your horse to be safe and well and happy. So as a student, you need to know your goals and be able to share them with your trainer and make sure that things are matching. You know, that you, your trainer, your horse, and the expectations all match. You've got to know your principles and priorities. And if you are with a trainer or instructor who's focusing on seemingly boring or basic things, it's because they know through experience that those things are important. And likely, they're things that will ultimately help you go faster and further. High-level skill is built on doing basic things with high degrees of excellence. It's not built on skipping steps. And so next, I'll talk about the things that students may not initially understand the value of. So some of the things that are coming up that students might not quite realize the value of are things like non-demanding time with your horse. In the last podcast, I talked about like the old school um, academies where you would come in as the student and the tacked up horse would be waiting for you on, you know, on the cross ties or will be led up to you (laughs) to the mounting block where you get on and off you go. And so your only interaction with the horse is in the saddle during the lesson. And this gets passed on. So as a trainer, you know, just because of time, right? If I had 12 horses in training, I often would have working students and the working students would bring the tacked up horse to me and I would get on and do the training and get off. But what I realized comparing the results I was getting with those horses and the results I was getting with my own personal horses that I trained and spent more time with is there was a different quality of the relationship and that often would transmit into um, better results 
under the, uh, in the saddle. And the, the biggest difference being that I would spend non-demanding time when it was my own personal horse. And so we have to think about there's a skill of riding, but that is just a small part of horsemanship. And the more you have a relationship with the horse where the horse trusts you and you trust the horse, where the horse understands you and you understand the horse, the better everything is going to go. And part of understanding your horse is understanding your horse outside of the training situation. Then you get to see the horse as the horse. And the horse can form an idea of like, oh, you're actually pretty comfy to be around. You're not always demanding. Now with different horses, this becomes more or less important. Some horses are just, I'll put in air quotes, just fine being led up and you ride them and they know their job and they do their job and then they go back to their stall and they can cope. But with many, many other horses, it's going to be vital that the vital piece is just the non-demanding time with your horse to balance out the relationship. So if your instructor is suggesting that you do stuff where you're just hanging out with their horse and maybe you're there for an hour lesson and you know, 45 minutes of it, you're just standing there. There's probably a reason. And I'll often, um, in the beginning, like if I have a new student who's not used to that sort of thing, I will, you know, I'll talk about stuff. I'll just, you know, give some theory or talk to the student to create a non-demanding moment between the horse and the rider. I'll just sort of set it up so it happens during my time together. And I can then observe and see what's happening. But non-demanding time is hugely, hugely valuable. And if you have an instructor who's encouraging that you spend non-demanding time with your horse, then I think you've probably got a kind of a nice instructor who's thinking about things a little bit more holistically and thinking about the long-term relationship that you have with your horse and thinking about your general understanding of horses, not just the skill of whatever particular discipline that you're choosing to do. That's the icing on the cake. So another, another part that can seem kind of boring to students <laughs> who came for riding lessons, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's in the way we name it. Like I'm here for a one hour riding lesson. Uh, so again, look at your goals, look at your priorities, be able to communicate them to your instructor um, and make sure there's a match between what your instructor is prioritizing and what their principles are and what you would like to prioritize in your horse education. Uh, but one of the things, one of the values that your instructor might bring is to discuss and even just look at so many tra trainers don't look at this, but your the health of the horse, the horse's basic condition, his body score, what what are his hooves like? What's the trim of his feet? What about his teeth? Nutrition. Now you you don't need to expect your trainer to be the dentist or the you know the medical doctor or the nutritional specialist, but an experienced trainer 
will be able to observe you look at your horse and observe them and say you know i think those feet are out of balance or i think you know he needs more food he's he's undernourished or he's too fat or whatever it is sometimes instructors don't feel like it's it's their it's out, they feel like it's out of their scope like well i'm a jumping trainer oh, i'm not a vet or a nutritionist so i can't tell them that their horse is too fat Yes, you can. And I've recently heard a story, you know, where this, these people came with their horses to have training or for lessons. And the instructor was like, I can't, I can't teach you. Your horse's condition is too poor. And the students just didn't know because other trainers, they were paying for full training with other trainers who were gladly taking that money. The horse probably wasn't doing very well, a little job security. And the horse really needed to stop and have its nutrition looked at and have his teeth looked at to have, you know, those sorts of things. So if you're, unless you really just want the skill of balancing on top of a horse whilst doing your chosen discipline, you know, which probably is not this crowd, but if you're going to ride a horse, you need to learn about horses. So if your trainer has taken the time to step back and look at your horse, the whole horse, and comment on his condition, his muscling, you know, the shape and balance of his hooves, ask what he's eating, count yourself lucky. And if you went for a riding lesson and ended up um, making, you know, getting an education about what your trainer thinks about the condition of your horse or the health of your horse, like count yourself lucky. That was time really well spent. And in trainers and instructors, if you see something, say it, right? So I've, I've known lots and lots of professionals who will teach their riding lesson and walk away. And then they'll comment to somebody else going, geez, that horse's feet are terrible. She needs a new farrier. That's why it keeps tripping or refusing the jumps. And I'm thinking, why, why didn't you tell the student that? They think they're going to insult the student, but in reality, the student doesn't know or they're just trusting their farrier or, or whatever. That's just what the barn feeds, right? And they, they, they are trusting. So education is always good. You can always just ask the question. All right, other things that sometimes students think are boring <laughs> but are actually really valuable are things about relaxation, anything relaxation related, breathing exercises. There are so many students who have moderate to high levels of tension when spending time with their horse. And it just does not help it it's an unsafe situation sometimes that tension's coming from the horse and traveling into the rider and sometimes it's the other way around sometimes it's a, a team event everybody's tense <laughs> but it's the rider's responsibility so relaxing relaxation techniques breathing techniques are really great for relaxing but, you know, that's the sort of thing, again, you're on a horse, you're a little nervous, you get hyped up, some people are on adrenaline, they go and your, your instructor's like, okay, let's take a few deep breaths, and they think they're not getting their riding lesson. If you have an instructor who's focusing and noticing your state of relaxation, I mean, of course, your horse is too, 
But if they're taking the time to notice your state of relaxation, and if they're giving you tools to return to relaxation, breathing exercises, visualization exercises, lots of different exercises you can do to try to relax, count yourself lucky. It's time well spent. And related to that are unmounted exercises, right? So sometimes the best lesson you can do for your horsemanship experience is to do things without your horse. (laughs) So I love unmounted exercises and simulations. There's so many different things you can do. So if you're a student and you have a riding lesson on Tuesday at four, and there's a storm that comes, that's coming through, don't call your instructor and cancel. Ask them, can we do some unmounted, you know, are there any unmounted exercises? Or if your instructor comes up and goes, hey, leave Freddie in the barn or leave Freddie in the pasture. I've got this really cool exercise I want to do with you. Count yourself lucky. This is an instructor who's gone the extra mile, has thought about what are some important pieces you need that you're actually not able to quite get to during the riding part of the riding lesson. And they're excited to take that time off the saddle to maybe hold a pair of reins with you between you and your instructor and play with the feel of it. Maybe to put you on an exercise ball and to play around with your position and how you can relax and become more supple, but keep your postural integrity. You know, maybe it's like a following leading thing. Maybe it's you and another person, you know, being the front and the back end of a horse as you practice lateral work. There's so many unmounted exercises. So don't underestimate the power of those. Putting that feeling into your body and getting a chance to to play with um, a position or a feeling or an activation without your horse is can be so eye-opening often humbling because you don't have any horse to blame. But for an instructor to have exercises like that, they have gone the extra mile. They have sat down and thought, huh, what kind of simulation could I do that would really help this person um, ride their horse better? Count yourself lucky. Don't roll your eyes and be like, oh, but I wanted to ride today. (laughs) Yeah, I know. We all want to ride. But um, welcome unmounted exercises. Now, along with things you can do with your body when you're not with a horse, there's also things you can do with your brain. So theory sessions. And theory sessions might sound boring, you know, like a lecture. We're going to get out the PowerPoint. But again, somebody who has um, taken the time to figure out a way to explain things or is going to take the time to talk to you and, you know, sit you down and let you understand maybe the bigger context of when you're doing this exercise or why you're doing these sorts of exercises now and how that relates to what you did last month and how do you know when you're done and you're ready to go on to the next thing. To just take some time to understand where what you're doing is fitting into the big picture. Hugely valuable. And again, if you have an instructor who's willing to stop and give you some theory, count yourself lucky. All right, another category is groundwork. 
So this could be any kind of groundwork, could be foundational, just online. More traditional people might, you know, say lunging. Um, I don't like to really use that term lunging because it just sort of, to me, it, in my mind, is connected with things to do to kind of get the edge off the horse and let them go around and around and around in a circle. Where groundwork, there's old, there's so many possibilities to play with your horse on the ground in so many different ways, from sort of loose and foundational to liberty to in-hand work, very precise, but things where your horse does not have to carry you. It can be a hugely valuable exercise for the horse. And here's the cool thing about groundwork. You can see your horse. (laughs) It's so helpful to see your horse and to see their expression and to watch what they do and to, to develop those, those skills as a horseman. So groundwork, even if you are going for upper level stuff, you still want to be able to handle your horse at a high level on the ground. And some groundwork skills can be hugely, hugely valuable, um, both physically to the horse, mentally to the horse, and for your own education to be able to see your horse and really see their footfalls and see how they move their body, hugely, hugely valuable. So Groundwork is not just about basics. It can be very, very advanced work. Um, But if there is a problem that shows up in groundwork, that's a gift. And and I would say you're going to want to address it. So if there's a big problem with basic groundwork, that is a hole in you and your horse's education. And welcome, welcome any help in that area. Other things that might be counterintuitive is uh, to add variety cross training and that might be for you you know and and or your horse right so if you're really focused on getting that third level championship at the dressage you know regionals you might think that you want to make sure that every single ride you do is practicing the test in the arena and if your trainer says hey let's go on a trail ride today when it's your day of training and you're like, no, I really want to, I'm you're a dressage trainer and I'm a dressage student and I'm going for the finals and this is my lesson and we have to work on the test. If you have a trainer who knows all those things and says, hey, let's go for a ride down the trail, count yourself lucky because that trainer could very well be strategically using variety and cross training in order to help you and your horse maybe to help motivate your horse out on the trail if he's getting kind of stuck in the arena. Maybe just to like, feels you getting a little wound up and wants to decompress. And you know, when you're going down the trail, you can talk about theory and understand things. It can be, depending on the horse, close to non-demanding. I mean, you're still riding, so it's doing something, but it can be a real partnership building thing if the horse you know, thinks that trail, trail rides are relaxed and happy. So it could be jumping if you're a dressage person or dressage if you're a jumping person. It could be lots of different things. But just think, be careful if you get too single, single focused. And variety can really introduce a lot of good skills. It can create mental engagement, different physical engagement, It keeps the horse well-rounded and nimble. So, you know, again, if you are, you know, a a jumper 
and suddenly your trainer says, hey, we're going to do this other thing. We're going to go work some cows. <laughs> you know, Welcome it. Because that trainer has been thinking out of the box and not just put little tunnel vision on and just teaching you the writing skills that you think you need. They're looking at your whole picture. Hey everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. So now you've heard me rave about the video classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are gonna be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls and anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before, so it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one-week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. Another thing might be uh, group activities. So a lot of times when people are in, especially like full training or something like that, they might be invited to join one of the instructor's groups. And a lot, and often students are like, oh, groups, <laughs> you know, I'm in full training. I'm, I want the special private attention. But if your trainer is inviting you to join a group, count yourself lucky because it's more time in front of them. It gives them often, I mean, there might be several reasons for why. It might be the topic of the group. I mean, the group might be an unmounted group. So that's awesome. If it's a mounted group, it might be the sort of um, exercises that are taught in the group. But there's um, a benefit because in a group, you have to be as a student a little bit more independent. And so the instructor might be wanting to see, depending on how they run the group, to see what you do without all that one-on-one focus attention to give you a chance to problem solve a little bit and for them to see how you're problem solving, but you got a safety net because you're still there. You're still there in front of the instructor. There's also a benefit because you can watch other students. And so this is often something that can help boost students' confidence. Like if you feel like, oh my gosh, it's this hard. I'm always struggling. And then you get put in a group and you're like, oh, actually, I'm kind of normal. Everybody else is struggling on the same thing. I thought I was the only one, right? So it can be really um, confidence building to be in a group, or you can use it to put a little like peer pressure, like get someone to step up and be, you know, tap into the positive competitive spirit of going, all right, let's, you know, let's up your game. Maybe you're getting a little sloppy and like go in a group that's of high level, Uh, higher level skilled people. And so you rise up. I thrive when I'm in a group of people that's slightly better than me. (laughs) Because then I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I can do that. Right? So if your instructor 
is recommending and inviting you to join a group, jump on it, because this is someone who has put a little extra thought about what other experiences could help you and count yourself lucky. Another thing that an instructor might do um, is that might seem boring at first would be some homework or something like that. They might assign some videos for you to go watch or study or, you know, go watch this other person's lesson, like auditing. And again, if they give you something, it means they've thought about you and thought about you enough to think, what do you need and where can I find that and how can it help? So take that time to, you know, be in charge of your own education. Another thing is uh, general preparation. So it might be like, hey, I've got a competition on the calendar. I'm going to go put it on the calendar. Let's go. And your instructor might go, you know, let's go to that competition. But instead of competing, let's just go but not compete. And that might seem boring, but (laughs) maybe it's because they know that you and your horse need more preparation. Maybe they want to see what you're like on a showgrounds where there's that other energy, that energy going. And you can see how does your horse react? How do you react? So you can go as a non-competing and you can still go there and stay there and ride in the arenas and have a number on and, you know, things like that. So that's all preparation without the Um, added pressure of you have to compete, right? So it gives you the flexibility to make decisions that are better for you and your horse that day. Seems a little boring. Everybody else is just going. (laughs) But sometimes that is wisdom. Also things like trailer loading. Like you might want to check that your horse gets in the trailer before you have, before it's the morning of the show. So again, you're going for that third level regional championship. You come for your lesson. You want to practice that test in the arena. And your instructor's like, you know, why don't we practice trailer loading? (laughs) You could have that lesson in the arena, but if you can't get your horse to the show, it's a moot point anyway. Or if you get to the show, but now you're late and you're freaking out, because you didn't do your relaxation exercises. And then all that training that you were so focused on goes completely out the window. I would say the majority, until you're like a seasoned competitor, the majority of competitions and show experiences are ruined with things that have nothing to do with your actual practice of your skill of that particular discipline. That's kind of the easier part. Everything else is preparation, relaxation, getting to the show, (laughs) and relationship training so that you and your horse aren't hating each other by the time you get to the show and then add all that (laughs) pressure. And one more thing that I think just it's sort of this maybe encompasses lots of stuff that we've talked about, but just simply the basics. The basic, basic exercises, the things that are in every trainer's mental checklist, right? It's just the, how are, how's the go stop turn? How are the yields? How are the, you know, how's the speed regulation? How are the, how's the horse leading? 
you know, all the really, really simple things, basic transitions, 20 meter circles, you know, whatever the basics are for you and your horse to think of those as little checklists. And every day, an experienced trainer every day will have these checklists in their mind as they're saddling and bridling the horse. They're going through checklists even before that, as they take the horse out of the stall or get him from the pasture. Does he let you catch him? Does he not? How's he leading? Is he spooking? Is he pushing? How's the grooming? How's the saddling? How's the leading out to the arena? How's that? You know, there's all these things and we're either getting green lights or warning lights or red lights. And so if you have an instructor that's going back to these basics and going, okay, I know you want to practice that four foot jumping course, but you know, it just took a half hour to catch that horse and I needed, you know, two buckets of green to do it. It's a, it's a warning. (laughs) It's a warning sign or, you know, simple backing up without your reins, simple hindquarter yields. You know, once the horse understands them and you learn them, they don't necessarily stick. You know, they have to be nurtured. They have to be cared for. What, like, for example, you know, just the ability to get on and stand still on a loose rein with a horse. It's about as basic as you can get. So, you know, my horse ovation, well, this is true of many horses. You get on, stand still. That's the first thing. And then, okay, I can get on, I can stand still. I go on with my life. I train him. Things are going well. I train him. The work's getting harder. I train him. And then one day in the middle of the ride, I drop the reins. He stands for a second and then he walks off. Interesting. So I ask him to stand again. Stands there, give him a second, and then he walks off before I've gone. So there's tension building up. I know that horse, and that's when that's a first sign of we're not quite all as one. I am here, and he's eh, a little out ahead of me, <laughs> a little trying to be somewhere else other than me. And so that's if I don't if I don't pay attention to that basic, if I don't go back and solve that or get that back to where it needs to be. And if I don't see it as a symptom and adjust my training, then things are just going to get worse and worse and worse. And I might feel like I'm advancing, but at some point that is going to bite me in the butt. And it's probably a problem in every step we take. He's not quite exactly with me. He's a little bit ahead of me. So the basics. And remember, high level skill is built on doing basic things with high degrees of excellence. It's not built on skipping steps. So students, talk to your trainer. If you're unsure about why you're doing what you're doing, ask them. And they really ought to be happy to explain their program or explain their decision-making, explain their rationale, explain why. And so trainers, be confident in your program and be happy to explain your rationale and your program and your wisdom. Don't necessarily compromise if your student says that they would really rather be doing something else. So I don't want to do that. I want to just do this. Don't automatically compromise. However, be open to hearing what they need. 
right? You want to hear what your students are saying or where their confusion is or what they feel like that doesn't make sense. I don't want to do that. It's important to know what those confusions because then you can either educate and explain and impart your wisdom or sometimes you can make an adjustment, right? When you hear their goals, you go, oh, okay, you know, maybe we can adjust a little bit in a way that fits your experience and your wisdom. But don't necessarily just compromise because you're afraid you're going to lose them if you don't. Trainers, do go on record for giving your best recommendation and advice. So many times I've seen trainers compromise I need 90 days to start this horse. The student says, but I only can afford to keep him here for 60 days. And you're going, eh, okay, because I want to help out the student. You like them. You like their horse. You want to help them. So you say, all right, I'll do it in 60. But you know that's a compromise. You know it's not wise. You know you're going to cut corners or you're not going to get where you need to be. So don't necessarily compromise, but be open to hearing their concerns. And, and it's a moment to explain and, and help them understand. So do go on record for your best recommendation and advice. So if they leave 90 days to start your horse, I only can afford 60. I'm going to just do 60. Go on record, say, you know, it's really my best recommendation and here's why. That way we can go this slow and the horse has time. And then, you know, by if you do this, 80% of horses, 90 days is great and you'll be here. And because of XYZ consideration for you and your horse, I really don't advise you doing trying to get it done in less than 90 days. And the student might go, nah, the guy down the road, he'll do it in 60 days. He'll do it in a month. So go on record with your best recommendation advice, but then don't be offended if, if the student leaves, you've done, you've done your best. Also, and here's, here's the big asterisk footnote highlight (laughs) addendum to everything that I'm saying. This is kind of the other side of the coin. If your student has goals to advance and progress. Like they really want to go up the levels. They really want to do it. And they have a healthy, sound, safe horse that's going well. Do let them progress and let them have appropriate experiences competing or whatever it is that's going up their levels and and meeting their goals. Even if you know their basics aren't perfect. Even if you know there's some things that need to be better, look for good enough and then keep that student going. You know, the longer I'm in the horse business, the more rare that circumstance is when you have a healthy, sound, safe horse that's going well, that's appropriate, that's well matched to the student. So if that's the case, and your student does have goals to progress, you don't want to like fiddle around and miss that moment. Prepare like crazy, teach your best, give them the basics and the whole picture as best you can. And then sometimes it's time to go when you can go. All right, students talking to you again. (laughs) 
Discuss your goals with your trainer. Discuss your goals with your trainer. Ask questions. Bring up your concerns. And make sure you understand their answers. And so, yeah, at at the end of the day, there's going to be some trust involved, right? Because one person says one thing and another trainer is going to say another thing. And you're just going to need to figure out if you trust your trainer. And I mean, I think that's really vital to trust your trainer. And if you trust your trainer, then take their advice. Don't work against them. But in the context of you need to discuss your goals. And this is something to be revisited often, seasonally, yearly for sure. You know, and sometimes instructors and students simply outgrow each other or they have a shift in goals or focus. And that's okay. That's life. And everyone needs to grow as they would like to. The key is awareness and communication. Heart-centered trainers who care. If you compromise your program or throw away your wisdom, you're doing your student a disservice and you're insulting their ability to understand what you're doing. If you really know in your heart what's needed, stick to it. Be open-minded for sure. We always need to be that. Don't be dogmatic or rigid, but you know what you know. And if you're doing your best and sharing your wisdom, you can't hold back because you're afraid of losing students. Your role is to impart your wisdom. The world needs wise horse advocates. Let's educate and stick to our principles. Let's share all our wisdom, not just how-to skills for riding, but our decision-making process. When we do this, horses, students, and professionals alike will thrive. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.